Looking for beyond ordinary investment opportunities? Global X ETFs is here to help with their suite of thematic income, commodity, and digital asset funds. Explore the range at globalxetfs.com.au. And now, on with the show. How are you now broadcasting from the VFS studios in Milsons Point in Sydney? You are listening to the all-new Bib Show, Season 7, Episode 3, I think. Thanks to Global X for all they've done, uh, our amazing sponsor, and a reminder that all of the financial information in this podcast is generally nature only. Speak to a financial advisor or professional or whatever about your needs. Speaking of which, I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, congratulations to Colgo, uh, and our thoughts are with him at this time. He's in a better place now, uh, Adelaide. Uh, anyway, I will tell the UBS garbage bag story at the end of this recording. Stick around for it. I promise that I will tell it at the end. Make sure that you stick around. This episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is five minutes past two on Friday, the 10th of February, 2023. If you don't have a beer in your hand, you probably should because it's Friday. It's a beautiful sunny day in Sydney. Now, our guest today, uh, I met this young man after we became acquainted post-GFC on the Twitter uh, during my days when I was back at Pershing building that business, and we hit it off immediately. I was immediately enamored with this man, and I believe that he – uh, the feeling was was mutual. I could tell by the way that uh, that, that his that his eyes met mine. He was at Arab Bank and being uh, absolutely sort of just got bigger than the game over there. His insights were, were phenomenal there on the Twitter account that he that he had there. Um, moved from there after there was a lot of organisation and a lot of engineering to uh, to make sure that he found his feet at the right place to so that he could actually help as many people as possible. Found his way to oh that was that was good yeah we had a little catch up and organised that found his way to Business Insider where he managed to change the world and started changing the world and actually started being able to put actual financial commentary and positions and opinion that was actually sensible as opposed to off the back of a bus actually started putting that in the hands and in the minds of people that actually needed it from that the podcast that was created at Business Insider was one called Devils and Details that you would be familiar with which is now sort of the progression of that is now sort of what this BIP show podcast is uh, is here, another in the list of names of, of, of Paul Colgan naming podcasts badly, but you, you get what you get and you don't get upset. After Business Insider pooped the bed, he made a move to the Sydney Morning Herald. From there, the easiest move of all was to the then newly created finance TV channel called Ausbiz, which was born from the original idea, funny, going around here full circle, of Brooke Corty at Sky Business who wanted to take regular people, regular advisors, regular whoever's in the industry of finance and tech and whatever over Skype and actually talk to them on the desk. It was called Direct to the Desk. 2009, I believe, was uh, was when that was all started, 2009, 2010. Ironically, I was the first guest on Direct to the Desk with Brooke, who I bumped into the other day and she still makes my heart stop um, and she knows that. Uh, hello to my wife if she's listening and she's not. But anyway, so Ausbiz was born out of that idea of actually being able to talk to real people and get real people in the industry emerging out to actually give their view and talk about what it is that they think in the markets. One of the main drivers of Ausbiz for the last few years has been we've known him and loved him, Aussie financial journalists, one of the one of the legends of it, um, even though still young that he is, ladies and gentlemen, my friend David Scott. David, how are you now? I'm great, mate. And uh, James, uh, Colgo, Brooke, and anyone else out there listening, thanks for, uh, for joining in. Pleasure to be here. And uh, obviously, the history of this podcast, where it came from, 
means it's, uh, it's a pretty special place to be. So I'm glad to be back on the program. Mate, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to having you on more, uh, more uh, as as it is now. Not to dwell on it, but it looks like your your punch card is halfway out of the clock at Ausbiz. Um, their loss, in my opinion, um, it's too bad. But uh, uh, moving on and whatever it is that's ahead, um, absolutely all the all the idea. Now, let's uh, not to dwell on too much of the past. Although I I understand, I'm going to ask you first off before we get into some chit chat about what's going on in markets and and, and what you're seeing that's out there. What, um, mate? The early days of Ausbiz. I mean, it was started straight out of out of COVID. Was was thick, thick amongst us all. Um, with with what was going on, what was it like in there in those early days when you, when you made the move over to Ausbiz, being able to actually try and try and do financial journalism and do TV without the actual ability to to, to really face to face anyone at that particular time? What did you see at that time? What was it like? It was pretty hairy. I've got to say that I missed the absolute opening of the uh, the channel because I was still the uh, the Sydney Morning Herald at the time. But uh, I know that uh, only just made you go and scrape the set together because there were lockdowns going around left, right, and centre, and it meant that uh, no, I had to go and, and pretty much right up to the last minute just building everything and setting up for the programming. But uh, you know, going through that period of time, it was uh, remarkable and really tested the technology. Not only that we had uh, in house at Ausbiz, but everyone else's home set up and, and how they went and did things. And uh, look, for all things being equal, I think it was a fantastic uh, performance and I was really impressed with what was uh, was churned out during that period. And also, more importantly, I think as well, because we didn't have a lot of optionality about what we wanted to go and do with our lives, most of us were starting our, starting our living room for most of the day. It meant you got really great access to great guests and uh, at a time when no one had really seen anything like it before, it was great to go and, and pick the minds of those really, really intelligent investors and see how they will playing it. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it was good, and, and credit to everything that Ausbiz and yourself and, and everyone that has ever been involved with that channel, of being able to take, you know, because some of the quietest advisors have got the best insight, um, and some of the loudest guys have got the worst insight. Thank you very much. But um, it's it's been an amazing way of being able to sort of draw out some of those some of those things. Any, I mean, what springs to mind over the last recent history? Now, now let's not go over the the, the last few years of COVID. We know what that's what that's been all about. What I will do is I'll pose something to you like a uh, an HSC exam question style thing here where COVID brought stimulus, stimulus brought inflation, inflation brought rising rates, rising rates brought space. Can you finish that sentence for me about what, what you think the next step is here? Inequality and uh, instability. In short, do you have a view on that as well? It's a good question. It is. It is a good question. I, I think. I think obviously that there's a, a, a phenomenal amount of stress and pressure and pain points are going to be felt by the households of the world um, that comes up. Being able to play the tape all the way to the end, it's still very foggy for me looking into the crystal ball to, to, to see that there's some sort of social upheaval. I don't, I don't think that I can say that, but almost certainly we may see a reversal. Talking about the workplace, and, and, and I'm, I'm thinking about when I was on with Colgo a while ago and I actually stated, I, I said back then, and this is sort of, I mean, macro voices put the idea into my head, so credit to them. Not all my ideas are original, but it was. I said to Colgo that, mate, what we're going to have after, after COVID is a workforce that will just stand up and just demand whatever they whatever they want and be able to get it and Colgo sort of disagree with me as he does when I'm right 
um, and, and then we're going to see some serious changes in the way the workplace sort of works in the way that people work and what they're given and what they're what they have access to. I think it's possible that whilst we may not see wages go back, we may see a toughening of, of standards of, of working conditions. We're going to see all the easy stuff that people have had in the workplace start to be unwound and, and sort of people get forced to come back because the pressure is going to be too great with the debt that individuals have to be able to uh, have to be able to have. I think that what went up absolutely is continuing to go down and we'll probably have a long way to go down. Um, that's with regards to consumer discretionary and with regards to the to the way that people work, everything sort of reverses there. So play that tape to the end, however you want to do. Yeah, it's really interesting to see you know, how different groups are, are really benefited and really not benefited from this period of time. I think it's pretty clear that asset holders uh, in general, uh, broad brush stroke, and obviously it doesn't apply to every individual, but uh, older generations, those who've got assets, uh, very little debt or no debt, uh, have been big winners out of this uh, and look, I seem to be really powering a lot of the uh, economic activity we're seeing at the moment. But uh, younger generations, uh, yeah, certainly uh, our age group and younger, I think, have, uh, have really been hit pretty hard by, uh, by certain facets of this. And so how that plays out over the longer term is going to be one of those great uncertainties. And uh, will it going to lead to uh, social instability? Will it lead to more geopolitical instability? They're the kind of questions I think we've got to start asking ourselves Yes. As investors, because it, it's it's certainly the inequality which is around now is probably the greatest has been at least from what you can perceive out there in a long, long time. Yeah, and 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 the two see the two sides will continue to get sort of stretched apart. All right, I'm going to pose this to you then, David, because it's Friday afternoon, and you know let's 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 rock and roll. Interest rate rises to solve consumer spending, uh, you know the 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 causes inflation. However, you want to phrase it, go nuts on this one, but. Do you think that it's fair that everyone gets hit with the same? I know, okay, we're, we're living in a hypothetical fantasy world now, so let's just take yourself away to this dream. Do you think it's fair that the people who are going to be worst affected by this get the same 25 basis point hike as the people who all it means to them is that they just get more on their savings? Look, it's not a question of being fair. It's just how blunt the instrument that monetary policy is. That's probably the best way to go and describe it. The RBA can't go and tailor things specifically for individual circumstances, unfortunately, uh, which means that I know the 25 basis points I know on someone who's got a big mortgage is obviously going to be felt a lot harder than someone who maybe has a turn deposit and no debt and, uh, and is getting a 25 basis point increase coming through there. It's just a reminder, though, that every decision, financial decision in your life, particularly one that's as big as buying a house or an investment property and the like, going with your eyes wide open because a lot of people, I think, you know, prior to this pandemic year and the, the, uh, the subsequent inflationary period we're seeing, were anticipating that there be no rate increases whatsoever. Uh, and clearly that's been proven uh, to be incorrect. And that's just a reminder out there if you, uh, when you're listening. You can't take anything for granted. The past assumptions uh, will go on back and slap you in the face. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Now, I've asked Gareth Aird this same question in this same room on this same podcast. Do you think this is one of the highlights of the last couple of years? Um, do you think that the RBA messaging with regards to rate rises was handled appropriately? Do you think that it was loud enough? And how do you think that the RBA probably could have changed the way that, or if, if you think that they should have, how do you think that the RBA probably could have handled this differently? It's always easy in hindsight, isn't it? Go on, let's, uh, let's, 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 we're running a podcast, mate. That's what we do. <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, the communication has been poor, not only from the RBA during that episode, but I know in prior years as well. 
it's still one of those very secretive organizations that really doesn't have a willingness to get out there and really give much information uh, beyond what's already contained in, in the minutes and uh, in the occasional speech, which has been highly crafted and everything else. Very rarely do you see them actually put themselves in actually a front of a live fire media situation where they get asked questions off the cuff. The way it was framed at 2024 until at least 2024, the, uh, the pledge, conditional pledges, uh, was later uh, repeated by the governor. Look, the likes of you and me who've got you know, a background in finance and follow these things pretty closely, we knew it was conditional. We knew that market forces were already starting to percolate mm. and test that RBA resolve. But to the average layperson on the street, uh, they would have known no difference. It would have been a promise, hey, no rate hikes for three years, go out there, uh, plunder, buy houses, go and no, no, buy that investment property, try and set yourself up. And of course, a lot of people took up that invitation. And uh, yeah, now it's coming back to bite. And unfortunately, I think it's going to cause a few problems I know, later on this year and potentially the 2024 as well. Yeah, now we'll, we'll get those stats up in just a second because you put a tweet up a little while ago uh, with the numbers of, of who's actually coming off and the cliff or the peak or whatever it is you want to call it on, on fixed to variable. First off, I'll just go Annette Beecher, ex Osbiz uh, host and someone who should be followed on Twitter if uh, if you don't already. The, her quote that came out, I mean, the, the debacle of the RBA earlier in the week just why they waited so long and then having to change their tack on what it is that they're doing. And her quote is fantastic from her tweet. And I'll tell you what, if you piss Annette off, then you've really done something wrong because she's a very nice person. But if she gets cranky up, you're probably going to hear about it. The fact, her quote, the fact that so many economists are rushing to add at least one, if not two more RBA rate hikes after today's so-called fully priced 25 basis points speaks to the folly of RBA silence for the last six weeks. And when is the next governor Q&A in front of politicians on the 17th? Mate, they can't be as quiet as they are. What shortage of microphones down at the RBA is there? It seems to be, but they've gone MIA. And, of course, it's MIA after what was a very, very ugly inflation report. And all this talk about it being driven by supply-side factors and uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and everything else you're going to hear sprint in the media, it's bloody clear that you can see that demand is absolutely rollicking along and just the breadth of, uh, of price increases we've seen across all different categories, not just goods, but into the services space and everything told you that there's an incredibly you know, bad mismatch here between supply and demand. Uh, that's, that's a consequence of not only the RBA's actions in keeping policy settings way too accommodating for far too long and not seeing real-life evidence of what was going on in the inflation front, but also from the fiscal policymaker side of the perspective as well. The, the stimulus initially was, uh, was absolutely the right outcome to go and do, but just kept at it for far too long. And uh, we're still dealing with that, that fallout, the, the big bulge in, uh, in fiscal uh, support payments that went through obviously weren't really required to the same degree as what, uh, what was needed because we're seeing that play out now with demand is just still strong and just shifting from the good side of the, uh, the economy now to the other services. So I'd try to catch a plane anytime recently. It's bloody expensive and the airports are packed. Yeah. It's, 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 when does that ease? And what have you got to do to make that ease? Because the people that are – I'm just – I'm almost exhausted. I'm, I'm exhausted by saying it. I'm exhausted by by talking about it. Just, just that the people that could travel that now can't, they've been affected. They've stopped spending. They're not going to. The people who will continue to spend money, most of them are my clients, the people who will continue to spend money aren't affected by any rate rises. They will continue to spend. 
I'm puzzled as to how else you're supposed to solve an inflationary problem with rate rises, but now that I've said it, I know that I'm going to get shot down by a 1,000 economists who will all tell me that I'm wrong. Yeah, unfortunately, they've got to work in aggregate, and that's the thing. It's going to be such a lumpy uh, slowdown. We're we're going to have certain groups who are not going to be experiencing any slowdown whatsoever. They'll Mm. just keep spending like the uh, other clappers, and I know good luck to them. They've uh, they've got that ability to go and do so, but you're right. There's going to be segments of society that have really hit hard. Unfortunately, there's not much that monetary policy can go and do on that front. That's where fiscal policy makers need to go and make sure there's appropriate safety nets in place and uh, to go and support the public. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the cost of living pressures are real and uh, a lot of people, uh, particularly those who have uh, taken on large sums of debt over the past couple of years when interest rates are so low, that's going to be the area that you've got to be very closely attuned to what's, uh, what's going on there because things can get nasty very, very quickly. Yeah, I, I, that's absolutely correct. Now, I'm just going to pay a few bills, uh, David, so just put a pause on this one for a second. Uh, how do you feel about ETFs, especially Global X uh, and their ETFs? Look, I've got no personal view about uh, Global X, but I think ETFs are a fantastic innovation and allow people to uh, to go and tailor their uh, their portfolio, get exposure to a thematic or in a basket of uh, different uh, asset types, and uh, make it a lot easier for people. So, in that sense, yeah, I, I, I'm all for them. All right. Do you, do you want to hear what 13 years of uh, grammar school education uh, means? That I can read this out really nicely. Here we go. Take a break from vanilla ETFs. Discover Global X's innovative funds and industry-leading research to back your investment ideas. Learn more at www.globalxetfs.com.au. How did that sound? Was that smooth? It sounded fantastic, man. That 13 years uh, well, well, uh, well paid for by uh, the folks there. Uh, Peter, if you're listening, hope you're having a great time. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, it's, it's interesting as well. ETF University, very quickly, uh, it gets a lot of attention on, on Ausbiz. Uh, a lot of people like it, so... It's easy to see why when you see funds under management in that particular asset class really, really continue to ramp up and, and away from single stock exposure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the access to ETFs just make it a lot easier too. Um, staying away from the managed fund space it can be a little bit clunky getting into the managed fund space, but um, could be a solution to that coming up very soon, but I'll, uh, I'll keep that to myself for now. Uh, now let's go with a tweet of yours from February the 9th going to – I mean, no, actually, let's not do that. What I want to do is talk about um, the messaging from... Now, we talked about the strain that people are going to see. As much as I would love to see interest rates be means-tested, I know that this is pie-in-the-sky nonsense, you know. Uh, I, I, it could be drunk me 2 o'clock in the morning talking to someone about economics and just going, you know, interest rate rises should be means-tested. But anyway, look, let's not go into that. What um, The messaging out of Powell a few months ago, and this is sort of every, every month everyone's waiting for him to talk about Pivot, and just when we thought that we got it, it turns out that it's not because it turns out that he's probably going to have to continue raising interest rates after that jobs numbers last week. But the messaging that seems to have come out of out of the Fed that everyone needs to remember is that is that Powell considers it that it is far easier for me to fix something that we break by doing this than to continue to perpetuate what has been going on for so long. Do you think... Do you do you agree with that stance out of out of Jay Powell out of out of the out of the Fed and the way that they they're going? You know, we'll go until it's broken because it's easier to break it than to perpetuate this low rate cycle. Well, from a societal perspective, you can't let inflation expectations become embedded in high inflation expectations because the the group that will be hit the hardest will be low and middle income earners, which is the vast majority of Americans. The same as what it is here in Australia. So. 
unfortunately, the collateral damage is, is trying to go and cauterize the, uh, the wound in the near term to try and make sure that you know, things go and blossom in the longer term. But so he, he's going about it a bit funny at the moment. He's getting a bit too cute. And I've been surprised that he's not pushed back against this uh, no, relentless pricing in markets for, for large scale rate cuts coming through to the market. I know he's saying that I know they've got the intention to go and keep rates uh, elevated, but there hasn't been enough urgency for me because I think a lot of the work the Fed's done right now, they might actually end up perpetuating this inflation cycle for longer than it needs to be. Yeah, that's that, that's entirely true. Now, so um, I'm just trying to think, how many basis points is the, I mean, not off the top of your head, although you probably know this because you're always the guy who knows this. What What is the US bond market saying that, that the back end of 2023 is going to, involved in rate cuts about 180 or something oh so i've euro dollar curve is the proxy is i was looking at it earlier today they're still got about 120 basis points priced in from june of this year to june of next year so you know, give or take you know five 25 basis point cuts coming through uh, over the course of the cycle uh it's a lot and what it's doing is it's, it's keeping this constant bid in equities it's uh, seeing that the credit spreads have been coming in uh volatility has been coming off and you know, wealth has been coming back as well. Uh, and along with that, it's also fostering this kind of conditions. The real world economy is that borrowing costs are now starting to go and come down. And the labour market, as you mentioned, uh, even though there's a few a few seasonal uh, factors that really led to that massive increase, it seems, in payrolls, the unemployment rate, which is the cleanest read of what's going on in the States, at 3.4%, that's multi-generational lows. Mm. Uh, it's, you've got lots of people who are in employment. There's still a scarcity of, uh, of staff. That means upward pressure on wages and uh, you throw into the mix wealth effects and everything else. Yeah, there's every chance we could see inflation start to come back and tick higher again. What do you actually think will happen at the back end of 23? I think that the, the perpetuation of keeping rates elevated will persist for longer than what the markets expect. And then if it's like any other uh, easy cycle, what will happen is it will kick off and it will kick off with some pretty big cuts coming through. Probably, I'd suggest, early next year. Yeah, that's, okay. that's, that, 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 that's a that's a guesstimate because at some point all this tiny we're seeing coming through the system is eventually going to go and grip, and when it grips really tight across the large sectors of, uh, of the U.S. economy, it's going to happen pretty quickly. We're seeing it time and time again in other cycles. That is, it, it, it's just going to go until it breaks, and when it breaks, it's going to be quick. It's well, I. I say it's going to be quick, and everyone's just like, "Well, it hasn't been quick," and that's you know what? It actually hasn't started yet. I do believe that it's peaked. Myself, I do believe I do believe that inflation has peaked. How long it stays and plateaus for could be a different story, though. But I do believe that once it actually once it actually swings and actually starts to go lower, it goes lower quicker. I still stand by that view that I've got. It hasn't started yet, though. That's the, that's the main problem. Yeah, um, when, when demand and supply become back in equilibrium, or even in favour of no supply, assuming demand, that's this economics one hundred and one will tell you that will go and start to take place. But you're right. It hasn't gone flow through that uh, the demand hit enough as yet. So unless there's going to be a big supply side reform in the states and looking at the other state of Congress, there's uh, somewhere between Buckley's and none chance of that taking place over the next year or two. So it's going to be the demand side, unfortunately. Yeah, I um, when it does when when it does start to switch and and this is everyone's hip pocket just suddenly has to get so much tighter and everything just starts to really retract. Consumer discretionary, I still would bang the table on this and just go, if you're holding a, a consumer discretionary stock, I think that probably you need to go and see someone and, and talk to an adult. That um, you, I, I just think that the calamity that's going to happen in consumer discretionary, when it really all does start to, to, to collapse, is going to be 
pretty severe, but that's just me. And I know that I'm going to be wrong because I can never pick the consumer discretionary side and I've been bad at it my entire life. What do you, uh, on that sector, have you got anyone talking to you on that or what's your view on that side? Oh, look, uh, I don't have my credentials any longer when it comes to investment advice per <laughs> se. So take that with a grain of salt and done and make sure you listen to a licensed professional. <laughs> uh, I, I, I suspect that uh, we still haven't seen the worst by any stretch when it comes to the consumer discretionary space. I'm not going to go name individual names. A lot of people in the program have come on and, and offered uh, their own individual thoughts. Some think that uh, it's overstated. A lot of people think that uh, it's just you know, biding time until it actually goes and takes place. There's not a lot of love there. Uh, and that's why the valuations look comparatively very, very cheap relative to uh, to historical standards because no one expects earnings are going to remain up at this, this high level for a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, I, that's spot on. Uh, we are in an earnings recession. It was de- earnings were downgraded at the beginning of the year and into the into the back end of last year. And any earnings beat that you have seen over the last couple of weeks, I'm talking about the US here, but any earnings beat that you've seen in the US has been a beat of those downgraded expectations. We are still in an earnings recession, and people need to really remember that that's that's the case. Not that I'm not that I'm super bearish. I'm just saying, be aware, of, like you said, eyes wide open of exactly what's going on in this market now. I'm going to switch over uh, geographically. Javier Blas, who I really love following, he's, uh, he's good. He's done macro voices a bit, I think. He's also he's, he's, he's a bit of a guru. Follow him if you don't already. Chart of the day, and I'm going to put this on the website, uh, so you know, be aware of that. Chart of the day, mobility indicators in China are soaring. Take the number of passengers using the metro in Beijing. I love this sort of data, which yesterday rose to a one-year high of nearly 1 million people so 1 million passengers a day um, using the metro in Beijing uh, anecdotal data on traffic jams point to much higher gasoline demand David Scott China reopening play the tape to the end what are you seeing commodities Australia I've, se- I've seen some great notes another note came out this morning I don't know who by Morgan Stanley actually I remember talking about just how bullish the Chinese reopening was for Australia talk us through whatever you know empty your head go uh, the services side of the equation, I think, uh, is going to be very, very strong. The, uh, the multiple universities just down the road from here in North Adelaide uh, certainly are going to be uh, you know, doing some pretty good uh, business when a lot of those Chinese students come back. From the, the good side of the equation, when I say goods, of course, we're talking about iron ore, coal, LNG, and pretty much anything else you can dig out of the ground. Mm. I'm, I'm not as bullish as other people out there. I know that uh, you know, China is you know, talking about you know, rolling out infrastructure projects to go and support activity, but we're not going to see the big fiscal impulse coming through like we saw post the GFC. It's just simply not going to go and happen. They, they spent pretty much the, uh, the, the decade afterwards trying to go and clean up all these industries that became so bloated and inefficient with all this investment that was no longer required. I've not seen that happen again. And you also look at what's going on in the property market. Yes, the other three red lines uh, policy has been scuppered, so it looks a lot better when it comes to property development. But from a, uh, a purchasing like a demand perspective, the population is going backwards now. Uh, a lot of the urbanisation has already gone and taken place in China. So to think that we're going to see this big bang you know, stimulus on infrastructure, a uh, big roaring comeback for the other uh, property sector, they're the two biggest end users of commodities worldwide, not just in China, worldwide, uh, which tells you a lot that, to me that they're not going to have that big impetus when it comes to commodity prices. So I'm not overly excited about it. I know a lot of us are, but we'll see what happens in the next few years. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, um, look, I might have to start thinking about wrapping it up, mate. So if there's anything else you want to talk about, then please be my guest. If there's any questions that you'd like to ask me, absolutely now is the chance to uh, to get on your soapbox and have a bit of a spray about me and the things that I've said in the past, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm only human. What have you got? Oh, mate, mate, you've said a lot in the past. Look, I, I want to ask you... <laughs> You, 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 a lot of good things as well. Let's not, <laughs> let's not go and be one sided here. Uh, look, I'm, I'm used to some structural uh, themes. People, people look for long term investment trends. What are some of those big structural themes that you look at at the moment and feel the most optimistic about? The most optimistic that I feel has got to be copper. Uh, and, and you know that, uh, like, <laughs> even the color of my hair represents it, thanks to my two daughters who colored my hair while I'd been drinking down at Lake's entrance. Um, but, um, look, I, I cannot see any other situation in our generation that doesn't involve copper going through the roof in a significant amount. There is no, I can't imagine any hypothetical scenario that you can put in front of me that doesn't involve total, you know, nuclear war and a, and a complete obliteration of the human race is the only way that copper doesn't become a thing that, that we all have to do. If you don't own copper, if you don't have some sort of copper, and I am, I do have the license, so I can say this, David, if, if you don't have some exposure to copper in your portfolio in some way, then you need to have a stern word to your advisor in some way about if you have a proper investment portfolio, what, what are you doing? Why is it that you are? The other big theme that I've got for the year ahead I think that 2023, and I've been on the record of this all through the end of last year, is that the 60-40 portfolio is back and and it's fantastic. And I know that I've, I've, I've said that raising interest rates does is, does have that double-edged sword, that it does mean, I know that we, we've, we've had a few scuffles about this in the past, but raising interest rates, yes, it does contract economies like it's supposed to do. That's okay. However, it does mean that investors, and everyone should be an investor, it does mean that investors for their super funds, for their retirement, can actually now retire with a, or, or, or plan their retirement with a little bit more confidence than what it was that they had before. It means that they can shift further to the what I call further to the left on the risk curve and, and actually have a bigger part of their portfolio invested in risk-free or near-risk-free areas and actually have a return for that. That's a big theme that we can actually actually rely on it it does mean that people can actually do that and anyone who's got because here's the, the good thing about australia is that everyone who works has an investment portfolio in some in some way it means that yeah so 2023 you can actually get back to the 60 40 portfolio and invest in confidence in that and and it means you don't have to be so far up the risk curve to be able to get some sort of a return that people have had to struggle for for the last two years which means that you know the meme stocks and all the nonsense that people have had to chase up suddenly become the derivative of that that's gone now. That's out there. So, yeah, commodities. Tara. Yeah, go on. Yeah, Tara. There are reasonable alternatives. I was looking today in the, the RBA stop that was released out, and uh, expecting inflation to come back to sort of the top end of uh, the target range in 2025. I was looking at uh, three-year uh, Aussie government uh, bonds. You can go and pick them up with a yield of 3.4 percent plus uh, today after a lot of rebound we've seen this week, which Although. means a positive, positive real yield. So that's one of those things that I know you look at and you talk about. I uh, know. Uh, alternate investment opportunities and, and more safer assets. Well, that's one right there. Not only going to take on any uh, risk when it comes to that sense and go pick up that. I can see why a lot of people are starting to go look at fixed interest again. For the first time in a long time, there's some uh, some palatable options. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what? You've got an investment portfolio and you can lock up, you can lock up 3 or 4%. Do it. 
it's it's you know obviously this isn't direct personal financial advice or or, or in any way anything that, that that you should take to the bank, but lock it up. Come on, like what are you like what are you doing? It's four percent. You know how hard it was to chase four percent over the last couple of years. Please do me a favor, um, David. Um, with nothing left, I'm going to tell my UBS garbage bag story. Do you want to hear my UBS uh, UBS London garbage bag story? I was going to remind you. I knew that I had to go and prompt you to go into this to go and wrap up the podcast. So far away. All right, here we go. So uh, this is back. So proper GFC time. I was at UBS, and I, I've never ever said that I was I was front front office. I was never on the phones doing the big trades or anything like that. I was. I've always. I'm, I'm an ops guy through and through. I'm a back office boy. I, I, I grew up in. I grew up in the in the operations department. I'll always feel at home there. You know, I'm a financial advisor and I'm okay at it, which is good, but I, I always feel at home in the office department. Anyway, enough of that. So uh, we were the trade support desk at UBS in Sydney. And the good thing when the GFC was happening, well, the good thing, the good thing that the GFC was happening, so UBS when I joined in 2007 had, oh, my goodness, I was just thinking, it had 80,000 employees. And UBS managed to buy, as we all know, UBS managed to buy the worst possible thing at the highest possible price at the worst possible time that you could do. Um, that you could do it, and UBS was absolutely left holding the bag with the GFC. So we saw that the announcements would come through, 15% after 15% after 15% of, of employees um, being laid off, co- complete redundancies through global. And this was really annoying because at the time, UBS in Sydney, or UBS Australia was absolutely killing it. Fortunately, we'd been ring-fenced, ring-fenced by Matt Grounds, who all the UBS people have got a little a little picture of him next to their beds um, because he managed to save our asses but and managed to ring fence our bonus pools because uh, UBS Australia was doing so well. However, still, there was change the bank and run the bank at UBS. And the, uh, the run the bank guys, I mean, we were untouchable because they still needed to book out 10% of the equities market that day. Options market still booming. The corporate guys were absolutely doing deal after deal all around the world. It was fantastic. However... The, the change the bank guys were the ones that were getting done. And, and it was 15% after 15%. And we saw that happen. And it was it was a grim time, but financial people. The reason I raise this is because um, all of the layoffs that are going on with with all the tech guys and how they're complaining about the way that they were laid off and, oh, it was heavy-handed and, and we're done. It's just like, dude, you don't know what it's like to be in finance. They will they will cut your legs off to make sure that you don't accidentally walk to a competitor. If you know what it's like to be, to be binned by a financial company, you're you're burnt and skinned, and you never get to uh, you never get to walk for that day. And the fact that you survive, it's just done, and everyone's grim, and that's sort of why they pay us what they pay us. Because any day, any day, you could just be boned, and that's sort of the way that it goes. So one day, all these layoffs are going on, and we know that every quarter, 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 fifteen percent UBS just gets smaller and smaller, and we see it goes. And we're still tapping away and working our eighteen-hour days that we were doing, and they were fantastic days, lots of fun. And then we got news come through from from UBS London, we roll into our desk and UBS London the day before, they've just gone, guys, we've got to tell you something that UBS has decided to get rid of a whole bunch of actual desks. And these are, these are trading desks that you've, you you would be, a lot of people would be like, I don't understand why that exists or what it does. The swaps, swaps, derives, over the counter, swap, forward, derive, you know, all of these desks and and, UBS has, trading floors like football fields and there's desks over there and one day they just go you know what we're just got to cut all these things we just can't carry these guys anymore and whilst they were doing well i think they just wanted to de-risk their books whatever the reasons was the reasons and so we're getting this news come through from london and just go you will love what has happened in london overnight i think they're on liverpool street but um you'll love what's happened in, in london overnight 
you get these guys and you got these FX and swap and derivatives under the counter, over the counter guys or whatever it is that they're doing. And they go and they clock in, they go through the turnstiles at UBS London and, and they've got their card, um, you know, your swipe card that you've got um, to, to get you into the bank. And you tap it on the turnstile, and these are the first guys that are coming in. And some of these, some of these guys, these wide boys, uh, you know, they, they'd roll in five, five thirty in the morning, catch the FX, find out what's happened, you know, overnight from Asia, and be able to do it. Absolute, absolute whiz kits. These guys are driven by something that I, I couldn't possibly imagine. And they would t- tap their swipe card on the turnstile, and green light, you can go in. Red light, that's weird. And and, and the first guys go in, and they start getting this red light on the turnstile. And okay, what red light must oi oi governor, my swipe card ain't working, innit? However they sound, you know, that's how I'm gonna do it. Um they call they call the eggs and beans boys. That's what yeah. we're going to call them in the FX world. Darling, I don't think my swipe card is quite working. Can you fix this for me, please? Uh, anyway, so they um what's going on? And the concierge, there's someone who's waiting there just saying, Ah, you've got a red light, sir, governor. Um right this way, over here is a very large man. Um, what's your name? And you know, he show you swipe card. Okay, good. He's Here's your garbage bag. And it's just like, garbage bag? And your garbage What's going on? It's just like, well, a garbage bag and a letter. Here's your letter with the details of your redundancy. Now, I wasn't there. This is secondhand information. We were getting it when we came in. So whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. But the people who were there told us this is what happened. So you've got to go with me on this. You get a garbage bag and a letter. The letter is your redundancy. There it is. They didn't even put them in a room. They didn't talk to them. They didn't do anything because it was so big that they were getting rid of so many people that day that they just had to do it this way. That's the way that it was going to go. We can't have these people on the trading floor. It would be an absolute nightmare. The media would be all over it. Remember what happened with Lehman's with people walking around and they've got signs and computers and boxes and it's just an absolute disaster. So they've decided to do it this way and they've gone, here's your letter, here's your garbage bag. What's in the garbage bag is if we've, we went to your desk and we just swiped everything off your desk and emptied everything out of your drawers into this garbage bag. And here you go. And here's your letter. Um, you, you'll notice that this massive number down the bottom is your redundancy number. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, and be on your way. Um, we'll need your swipe card and, and any other identification that, uh, that you owe the bank, probably your Bloomberg terminal um, access point as well. Off you go. Eventually, obviously, because it's first thing in the morning and you've just been made redundant from a bank that you've given a fair amount of your life to, a fair amount of your time and effort to, and you've also just been paid a big whack of money that's about to hit your account in a redundancy, and the redundancies were good at UBS, um, that you'd, well, where are we going to go? Why don't we, a governor, a Scotty, mate, you know, why don't we go down to the elephant and whistle and we'll get a pint first thing in the morning? That, that you're going to do. So, you, okay, we'll, we'll take our, we'll take our the garbage bag and we'll keep our letters to ourselves because I don't want you to know what my number is going to be uh, uh, and, and we'll go down and we'll get a couple of pints in there. And there's this slow, everyone sort of just suddenly gets on the phones and just says, if you get there and, and it's red light, you've got to come down to, the, come down to the, the boozer. And this crowd starts to gather at the, at the, the pub next, next to the UBS office where people start coming in and it's red light, green light, so much so that, and, you know, obviously a few a few pints get bought and, uh, you know, the, 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 the stories go on about the days there and what are they going to do and everyone's, everyone's got their garbage bags piled up in the corner with their letters tucked under their arms and they they start running a pool. And this is the, the, the thing that highlights, I mean, just how we're, we're savage but we are so, it's not callous, sort of trying to find the word about just how 
We'll just look into the eye of the storm and just go, you know what, we don't care about exactly what you're doing. We'll, we'll, we'll manage to survive this. It's the GFC. Everyone's struggling. Um, we're in a better place than a lot of other people in this, and, and I think that that's what's remembered. So they start to run a pool. Oi, Terry, I reckon the next one, next guy through the door is going to be Steve because he's on the forward desk. No, Steve won't be the next one in. It's going to be... It's going to be Ian because he's, you know, I think he's taking his kids to school and he should be through and he's going to get a red light. And so they weren't even betting. They, they were betting on the red light, green light, but also betting on the time that they would be receiving the red light, green light, and then try to figure out which desk were getting cut and which desks weren't getting cut. And so either Terry or Steve would roll through with their garbage bag as they, you know, if you get a red light come through, they'd come through. Cheers would go up. Five pound notes, probably hundred pound notes, would be changed, and and more pints would be bought, and that was, um, that was the the continuation through the morning, and I believe for the better part of the day before eventually everyone decided, look, those are the desks. Everyone that's been done has been done. No one else, no one knew was coming through. We've all drowned our misery. Now we're going to have to go home and, and explain, explain to our families a, why we're home. Um, B, why there's a massive amount of money that's that's hitting our bank account. C, uh, why we're carrying a garbage bag. And D, why we're drunk as skunks at one thirty in the afternoon on a on a on a on a sunny Tuesday morning? UBS never got rid of people on Mondays or Fridays. That's uh, that was the rule they had. The um and that was that was just sort of the the the, the story that came out. And I, I had to, I had to tell it based on the the amount of whining and whinging of people. The, the way that tech has let go of this massive layer of fat through the tech space, that finance will do it in a heartbeat and absolutely not even flinch. Um, and with very minimal benefits, here's a number. Uh, please leave the premises with your garbage bag. Um, it could be worse. There you go, David. That's the garbage bag UBS London story. Yeah, just a reminder. Having been through it twice, including once uh, in the financial world, it can be pretty brutal. I've got to say, though, a lot of those tech workers had absolute uh, a dream life for a long period of time and got paid very, very well money. It uh, reminds me of banking before the GFC. <laughs> and so we can go and attest that uh, life will move on uh, mm. and you can go and uh, pick up new, new work. Uh, you have skills that are uh, envious to a lot of other people, but uh, it does feel pretty bad at the time. But it's a reminder as well that uh, as much as you might go and love your business and the company you work for, uh, you are not likely to be loved back. It's no. uh, generally it, you're just a number, and that's unfortunately the way the world is. Well, uh, David, uh, mate, any last words apart from those amazing things that you've got? Your time at Ausbiz uh, has been amazing. I don't know what, uh, if you're going to wrap it up or if you want to even make a thing about it. Um, that will, but if there's anything you want to say, then uh, then the microphone is yours, my friend. No, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, a journey that I've really enjoyed. And uh, I'm looking forward to finding out what I'm going to do next. I don't know what the answer is, but uh, first and foremost, I spent uh, so, so much time away from my family, including my, my uh, firstborn child uh, flying back and forth across the country. Mm. Uh, I've, got an, I've got another arrival coming in a couple of months. I'm looking forward to being dad uh, and a family man for a while. So that's going to be uh, something to look forward to. Muzzle, mate. Very nice. Uh, that is that is some great news. Well, look, we're going to wrap it up there then, mate. Uh, thanks very much for uh, for joining us. On this one, your insights have always been fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing what it is that you do next. But for now, um, we'll catch you next week. Uh, we've got a really big show uh, ahead next week, and that's it. So thanks a lot, David, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Pleasure, mate. Been a pleasure. Thanks. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore Bip underscore show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website, 
Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan 42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. This episode might be over, but your ETF investing journey with Global X is only just beginning. The expert team at Global X ETFs is ready to support your goals with their wide suite of ETFs. For the latest updates, follow Global X ETFs on LinkedIn and Twitter at Global X ETFs Australia. This episode might be over, but your ETF investing journey with Global X's is only just beginning. The expert team at Global X ETFs is ready to support your goals with their wide suite of ETFs. For the latest updates, follow Global X ETFs on LinkedIn and Twitter at Global X ETFs Australia.